Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom He died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the Scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the Word of God regardless of who gets offended or not. In Jesus' name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. You know, today, by listening to most quote-unquote Christian preachers and modern church writers and people that are in ministry, you would think, after listening to their messages, that those that are bought by the blood of Jesus, they are empowered by the divine ability, the grace of God, uh, that they're relegated to a life of sin. You never get the sense, the biblical sense, of any victory in overcoming sin and putting it under in your life. Like Paul said, I keep under my body. I keep under, I subdue my body through the cross life. We know from all that he wrote, that's exactly what he's talking about, the cross right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, after I preach to others, I myself shall be a castaway. In the end, that is, cast away from Christ, having died in sin. So it's either the cross or it's either sin. Well, something is dominating in our lives. Let me ask you something, friend. Have have you read Romans 6 lately? I know a lot of people want to focus in on verses that make excuses for them continuing to struggle with sin and to battle it unsuccessfully because they're not walking in the cross life Jesus has ordained us to walk in and following him to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about keeping under the body, keeping under, keeping it crucified, keeping it subdued under the power of the Holy Spirit through the crucified life. Remember, this great apostle spoke of being crucified with Christ. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet that I, but Christ that liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wrote that verse. And here's another one I am doing my best to make popular in the minds and hearts and lives of every believer who listens to this ministry. And that's going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. It says, always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Now, let me ask you something. If the life of Jesus is being made manifest in our body, how is it that sin can continue to reign in our mortal body? That would be impossible, right? Right, of course. See, but notice the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection right here in this verse and in this absolutely chiefly, prominently important cross, death, burial, and resurrection gospel passage beloved. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Notice, always bearing about, living a crucified life, keeping under the body, subduing it through the cross life. Amen. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal body. You know, there's something I wrote earlier today, and I wasn't planning on sharing it, but I'm going to find it because it fits right here. Here it is. If we desire that blessed resurrection life of Christ, 
Christ teeming in our lives, filling us. Let us hit the death and burial hard. Let's hit it hard, folks. Bam. Amen. If we consent to our own dying, the gospel principle of death, burial, and resurrection being reenacted every day in our lives. Remember the Bible says in Romans 6 that we are dead with Christ. So it's a co-crucified life. Our crucifixion doesn't atone for anything. His did and his alone. But he said we are to be crucified with him. We're to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. The words of Romans 6 speak of being dead with Christ. Amen. And so when we are consenting to our own death, not trying harder, that's not dying, but just dying harder, just surrendering afresh and all that the concept of the cross, which the Holy Spirit alone through scripture can teach you as you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, then the resurrection, the reverberating reciprocal resurrection life of Jesus is reigning in our lives. And I don't know about you, but that is exciting. Anybody who's been under the dominion of sin, which everyone listening to this message can admit to, if you're honest, not only definitely before you got saved, but even after when the cross is not in place, the resurrection power, glory, and grace, divine ability of God is not working in our lives as God designed. And we are still under the power of sin. And I got good news for you. I don't believe you're listening to this message by any accident. God is going to give you this gospel key today, and it's going to change your life. And the devil ain't going to be happy about it. But Jesus is. Amen. You know, I went to a black church. You know, there's only one church, but you know what I'm talking about. One time a while back in Nashville, and they had a song I'd never heard before or since. And it said, it speaks of the resurrection. That's what they're talking about. He got up. Jesus got up. Jesus was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. And that's his intention in our lives, beloved. The same spirit, the Holy Ghost, that raised up Jesus from the dead wants to quicken, raise up your life so that he is filling your life. He is increasing and you're decreasing. Amen. And when that's happening, sin is blown to smithereens out of your life, if you will. I don't know if that's the best picture, but it's nullified. Amen. A crucified life in the definition of the scriptures and that Christ ordained is the key. You see, we didn't get up this morning. We shouldn't have got up this morning looking for a promotion, but a demotion. Amen. A downward dying and burial so that Christ can reign us up, reign in our lives. I don't know about you, but I hope I love when Christ is reigning in my life because I don't have anything but evil and sin to offer, which brings nothing but dismal results and shame. Have you discovered that in your own life? Are you fed up with that? Well, this is the key right here. This is the key that's uh, almost a non-existent biblical message in the modern church. Now, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't hear this message anywhere. And when you do, it's only for a small minute or second. And then all the other, you know, entertainment and overemphasis on certain things and, you know, is going on in the modern church. Notice here, first, second Corinthians 4, 10 through 12. I'm going to get to verse 11 now. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. And here's why. That the life also, why does God allow all of these external attacks on our lives, especially in certain seasons? And this passage, if you read the first part of the chapter, is, I believe, what he's referring to here. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. So it's an internal and an external here in this passage. Here he's speaking of the external, I believe. We're delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. We're put in situations that God allows to bring about the nullification of us that Christ might reign. Amen. Because Paul said in this same book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, that when he was weak, then he was strong. And that was talking about when he had the thorn in the flesh. God allows these things to bring about his glory. And what a blessing.
blessing they are. Because, you know, let's face it, folks, we're not going to seek God, cry out to God and have a desperate spirit, a poor, being in a poor and spirit posture on our own. Sometimes it takes external things that God allows to happen in our life. And man, we get to saying with James, man, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, all kinds of different, various temptations or trials. Amen. Knowing this, that the trial of your faith work at patience, but let patience have its perfect work. Hallelujah. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Let me just say this for a moment. Maybe somebody needs to hear this. I can tell you, I've been in those situations that I don't even talk about. They they were horrible. Situations of being put in a place that you don't want to be. And I didn't always take them the right way. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not going to glorify any sin and bad attitudes I had. But I tell you what, once you start experiencing that and the blessedness that God's allowing, because he's allowing you to be pushed into a corner, to be crucified so that Christ and his resurrection grace is reigning more and more in your life. Amen. I love First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says this, but the God of all grace, amen, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you've suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. That's the P, I call it the P-S-S-S principle of scripture and of God's working in our lives. And the book of First Peter is all about suffering and the trying of our faith and, you know, in the first chapter and the purification of our faith through these tr- tests and trials that happen that God allows, like he did with Job, like he did with Joseph in Genesis, like he did with Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He said, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. Are we being brought to the place where we're saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. So right here, he says, the God of all grace has a call, has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And then after that, you have suffered a while, sufferings he allows, he's going to make you perfect. That means mature, establish, strengthen, settle you. That's the PSSS principle. First Peter 5.10. I want you to mark that. I want you to get in your Bible and circle that. I want you to remember that acronym. It's Bible. It's scriptural as it could be right here. PSSS. What does the P stand for? What does the SSS stand for? Perfect. That means mature, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Do you want to be perfected? You want to grow to maturity? Do you want to be established in Christ and in the faith in the kingdom of Christ? Do you want to be strengthened by Christ? Do you want to be settled in Christ? Amen. First Peter chapter five, verse 10, back to second Corinthians four, verse 10 through 12. We're talking about the victory of Christ, which is seldom if ever spoke about in the modern church. In fact, like I said earlier, the, by the way, by the messages you hear, you basically walk away with no projection toward victory. We're going to get to more of that in a minute, but all a sad excuse for basically being relegated to a life of sin. That's ridiculous. Jesus, the Bible says, died to take away our sins, not to save us in them, but to save us from them and deliver us from them. And so that we're under his power and anointing, not under the devil's yoke, not under his influence, not under his darkness. That's not the savior of scripture. That's a fake. That's a false picture that we're getting from most ministries. There's, There's almost no victory being taught because there's no cross being taught. And there can't be a victory outside of Christ's cross and the one that he commanded you to take up. We've got to camp on this message till it permeates every part of our mind and our thinking that when we get up in the morning, it's not thinking about all of our stuff for our day. It's thinking about, thank you, Jesus, I am crucified with Christ today, and so on and on, quoting scripture and submitting ourselves to the Lord, dead and buried with Christ. Amen. So he says here in 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 12, in verse 11, that the life of Jesus is going to be manifested in our mortal flesh as we're delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. I don't know about you. 
as I said earlier, I want Jesus manifested in my flesh. I'm done with my own self because it brings forth nothing good. Paul said, there's no good thing that dwells in me. Total futility and evil, shame and guilt and darkness and death. That's all the flesh can produce. It must be crucified with the deeds thereof, Romans 6. So the life of Jesus is going to be made manifest in your life, beloved, as you allow yourself to be delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Amen. Travis Bryan and I, Judge Bryan and I, he's a sitting judge in the state of Texas, one of the most wonderful men I've ever been blessed to be in fellowship with. And him and I did a radio program. You can find it on safeguardyoursoul.com. Just go to the search box and put in the word fall. I believe it could be titled Falling into Freedom or something like that. Just put in fall and it'll come up. Scroll down, whatever. It should be one of the first ones. That will, that cross message will change your life. Amen. So then he says in verse 12, before we get back to the message here, not that we're strayed from it, we're actually right on it because we're in the scriptures, but you know what I mean? So then death worketh in us, but life in you. See, there's the ministry aspect. You see the victory in your own personal life by the manifestation of Jesus in your personal life through the crucified life. Then, you know, here's projection, not only in you overcoming sin, but in ministry. Here, Paul projects us here, you and I together. He says, death works in us. He's talking about him and those who ministered alongside of him, but life in you. See, all of this crucifixion of the flesh in us that we've submitted to internally and also has been caused by the external afflictions works in us, but yet life in you. In other words, that results in the resurrection life of Christ flowing through us as it's manifested in our mortal flesh into you. Amen. That's ministry, grace, and blessings right there, folks. And I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to use me. Jesus is coming, my friends, as you know, and we're not going to be able to be used of him in heaven as we are on earth. To see people saved, to see the body of Christ brought to full maturity, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, to see believers rescued out of a backslidden condition and their soul saved from death, James 5, 19 and 20. Okay, we're not going to have that opportunity in heaven. That must be done now. And that can only operate through the cross life. God is going to use the crucified vessels that are his true remnant, according to Isaiah 37, 31. His true remnant. He even uses that word or defined right there. He said they're taking root downward. There's the death and burial and burial right there. And yet they're bearing fruit upward. There is the resurrection life of Christ that we just saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 10 through 12. We see it in Isaiah. We see it throughout scripture. So let's get back to our message here about how in the modern church, the writers, the pastors, you know, are deceiving the hearts of the simple with this false gospel that somehow supposes Jesus came and died on the cross and yet doesn't expect to bring the full manifestation of his atonement and his victory enforced in our life. That's ridiculous. The scripture says that Jesus gave himself for us. He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar, a special people, zealous of good works. There you go, right there. That brings up again the personal victory in your life and also zealous of good works, the ministry to others, the fruitfulness in that regard. Amen. So Jesus, Titus 2.14, Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus gave himself. I want you to memorize this scripture. I want you to share it with other believers, saints. He gave himself for us, and here's why. That, here's the reason, he might redeem us from not some iniquity, but all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar, special people, the remnant, the bride of Christ, zealous of good work. So why don't we see this preached in local 
local churches today. We hear a lot about the grace of God, but we don't hear this passage preached because this passage speaks about the crucified life. Notice verse 11. Let's read Titus 2, 11 through 15. I want to draw your attention to this passage because among men, this is the true grace preacher. This is the apostle Paul. And yet we, again, we seldom hear this passage ever addressed by the phony, fake, fraudulent, satanic, grace-perverting devils today that call themselves grace preachers, like John MacArthur and all these other Calvinist diabolical frauds. Chuck Swindoll, just mentioned in a few, there's a lot of younger guys too that have learned from these devils. Charles Stanley, unbelievable catastrophe that he is. This grace-perverting, absolute devil from hell that Jude told us about and commanded us, the Holy Ghost did, to earnestly contend against. If you think I'm strong about these false teachers, go read Acts 20, 27 through 32. And notice Paul cried day and night for three years with tears, knowing that these grace-perverting devils were going to enter in among them in Ephesus. And that was prophetic for the whole church age. So if you think I'm hard on them, go read Paul. And I'm going to tell you that I haven't cried three years, day and night with tears about these false teachers. You don't think this is important. If you don't, it's because you have no clue that the danger of soul is at hand. The souls for which Christ has died for on the cross and has apprehended the church. They must be kept. They must endure to the end to be saved. Paul told, he spoke of the Galatian deceivers who had put witchcraft on the people of God in Galatia and caused them to fall away. Galatians 3, 1 through 3 and 5 verse 4. Paul said, "He, w- I would that they were cut off in the fifth chapter. I believe it's verse 11 or 12. Cut off. You talk about violent. Go look up what that means. It means castrated or killed. So is it wrong that violent language is spoken about? The, no, it's not. Okay, we don't want to. Yeah, anyway, listen, let's realize that believers are saved, but they have to stay saved and they have to make that choice. But godly overseers are going to earnestly contend against the wolves who are ungodly men, Jude said, quote unquote, who are perverting the grace of God. They're turning it into a license for sin. Just as we said earlier, there's no victory over sin being taught in the modern church world. It's apostate. And excuse me, if you go to a church, a fellowship, that could be in a home or under a tree, it doesn't matter, where the victory of Christ is spoken about. The the gospel victory. We have, the Bible says, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Amen. For all of those God-fearing elders that are preaching the cross as the way of victory for the saints of Christ, especially in this late hour. Here's a quote from Brother Travis Bryan III about this. Notice, quote, without mentioning our death with Christ, Romans 6, our message is heard by the natural ear as law requirements for holiness, law righteousness to rise up in self-effort to honor God and overcome sin. No. Then he goes on to say, grace is getting down into the death of self-effort, a restful death which grows out of our love for God, unquote. Here's another one from Brother Travis Bryan. He says this, Travis Bryan throw through the experience of the cross, we must fall. We fall out of our, our own ability to control, out of our own comfort zone, out of our own arrogance, pride, and self-centeredness. We collapse into death, resurrection, and ascension with Christ. We ascend into Christ confidence. Here's the resurrection. Christ esteem, not self-esteem, and Christ, instead of self-centeredness. We fall into his resurrection, life, and power, and victory. We descend into ascension. Wow. 
unquote. Notice we descend death and burial into ascension, resurrection. Absolutely amazing. And by the way, we have a category, Travis Bryan III, where him and I do a lot of radio programs, etc., where you can get more of this concentrated and, I mean, mature message of the cross. Let me do one more quote from Brother Travis Bryan III. Notice this one. It's a short one. Very powerful. The only way, he says, to promotion is by demotion. Notice the word demotion for a minute. D meaning down. That denotes downward in the English language. Demotion. D, downward, death and burial motion. Let's get back to the quote. The only way to promotion, that is upward motion. How many of us want to go upward, empowered and impelled by Christ? Amen. There's a way to do that. There's a divine prescription. It's called the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We go down and we're buried. That's what water baptism signifies principally in concept as right after we get saved. And then we're raised to new life in Christ by Christ. And that is what is to be our whole Christian life demonstrated immediately after we're saved. And yet somehow we're not grasping that that's exactly what we entered into as a life of death and burial so that Christ alone can be raised up in our lives. All right. The quote from Travis Bryan III, the only way to promotion is by demotion. Are you today seeking a demotion? Do you want self to be advanced, enhanced, prominent, recognized, satisfied, aggrandized, indulged, promoted, noticed, or applauded? Or do you want self-demoted, crucified, and killed to all these worldly things? Question mark. And that question would include, do we want Christ reigning in our life, or do we want self reigning? I don't know about you. I'm fed up with self, and I'd love to see Christ reign in this mortal body so that God is glorified and no longer myself. So we were in Titus 2, 11 through 15. Let me just try to go through that real quick. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, that is through the crucifixion of Christ, teaching us. Notice what grace really teaches. You see, you got all these phony grace teachers, as I mentioned earlier, in very pictorial, colorful language that will never go to this passage. Why? Because listen to this. Grace, if you really have the grace of God working in your life, is teaching you that denying ungodliness, there's the cross, and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. The only way to do that is through the cross life. The same apostle teaches in Romans 6 and all over the New Testament. So when the grace of God is working in someone's life, you will know it, beginning with ourselves, because we're denying ungodliness, worldly lust, and we live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, not just out of self-will, but out of saying, not my will, but thine be done, and giving ourselves over in the abiding life to that oneness Jesus prayed for to the Father in John 17. It becomes less of a head, a heady thing where we're just doing it out of head knowledge. It becomes something that grieves our spirits as we're one with God. The things that don't please Him become grieving in our hearts. Amen. They begin, have you noticed that as you've grown in Christ, that there are things that you tried to overcome because you knew in your mind were wrong, but the heart sense wasn't yet there, but now it is starting to come into fuller and fuller fruition where there's just something in your bosom that just doesn't want to go there anymore, doesn't want to think those thoughts, doesn't want to do those actions. Amen. See, it's God which is working in us, both the will and the do of His good pleasure. I'm glad to know God's working in me. Amen. Aren't you? He's perfecting that which concerns our lives. Psalm 138.8. Also, I'm quoting there Philippians 2, 12, and 13, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God works in us, both the will and the do of His good pleasure. There it is again, the day
death, burial, and resurrection. We're working out, not working for, not earning, but walking out our salvation in the cross life. Amen. With fear and trembling before the Lord, and he's uh, working in us. Isn't that a comfort? God is working in you, beloved. He's continuing the good work he began in you. And that work is that you're dead and buried, and he's raised up in you. Amen. So if we're, we're walking in the grace of God, we're denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we're living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world with joy. Amen. Verse 13, looking, we're looking for Jesus. Here it is. We're looking for that blessed hope to the, so the cross life. Amen. The remnant that's taking root down when it bear fruit up. Well, there it is. We're looking for that blessed hope, man. Here comes Jesus soon. Amen. It might be today. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself when he came the first time. You got the first and second coming of Jesus right here, who gave himself for us. And here's why, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar, special people, zealous of good works, doing ministry. The bride is saying, come, amen. The spirit of the bride is saying, come in this late hour as we eagerly await the return of Jesus, Revelation 22:17. These things, he says, Paul finishes with, speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So preach this, he says, speak it forth, unashamed, amen. All right, so we were talking about how we seldom hear the victory of the cross or the cross message, the central message, original gospel message of the cross in the early church. The scripture says, when crucified, dead, and raised up by Christ, sin has no more dominion over us. Context, context, context. Romans 6, 3 through 14, verse 14 says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, you're under grace. So that means you're living in victory. But what's preceding that resurrection victory? It's that you're crucified with Christ there in Romans 6. I want to highly encourage you, beloved of God, to read Romans 6, 7, and 8. I want you to camp on chapter 6. He's talking about he that is dead is freed from sin. We're dead with Christ. There's the co-death, dead with Christ. We believe we will live. We will have his life in us as the resurrection, knowing that Christ, verse 9, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, as Jesus was died and was buried and raised again. Likewise, verse 11, reckon, count ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the less thereof. Uh, neither, verse 13, yield your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead as and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now we got, again, taking that in context. We don't want to pluck that verse out of its context and put it into any other context than what it's in right here. Because the next verse, verse 15, he says, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid, know ye not that to whom ye yield your servants, yourselves servants obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. He gives us the full picture here. If you're yielded to sin, that's unto death. You're going to be separated from God. You're not going to be in glory with Jesus. It's not going to happen. Doesn't matter how many times they told you you're once saved, always saved. You're not. The Bible is clear that if you die in sin, you're going to hell. But brother, don't want to hear it. Die. Just die. Shut up and die. That would be a good new t-shirt. Shut up and die. Stop the excuses. Lay the axe to the root. Lay down your life and follow Jesus. Stop looking for excuses to live in sin just because some fraud that calls himself a pastor is never preaching the cross, which brings forth, which is the only way to victory in Christ. Don't want to hear it. If you 
yield yourselves servants to obey to Christ, righteousness is going to be reaped. See, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap, whether of sin or of corruption, he says. There in Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. If you yield yourself to the flesh, it's going to reap corruption here and forever. Sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Notice, sin unto death. Sin leads to death. Obedience leads to righteousness. But brother, you're preaching lordship salvation. Call it whatever you want to cop out and make you excuses. The Bible says right here, obedience unto righteousness. If you really have saving faith, it's obedient faith. Otherwise, you don't love and you don't have saving faith in Christ. Even the devils believe in God and tremble. See, faith without works is dead. You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, James said, chapter 2. Now, all right, so I want you to read this passage. We read a little of it just now, but I want you to read Romans 6 completely. Notice at the end, the wages of sin is death, he said, and that hasn't changed. The wages of sin is still death. But brother, I'm saved. All my sins are covered. God sees me through the blood of Christ. No, he doesn't if you're not in Christ presently. Jesus said, if you don't abide in him, you're going to be cast into the fire. John 15, verse 6. Being in Christ is where all the promises of God are. But if you're living in sin, unrepentant sin, you're not in Christ, you're in sin. Let me read you something out of 1 John 3. This is very severe language that we should very much pay attention to. Verse 5 and 6. And you know that he was manifested. Here it is again. Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever abides in Jesus sinneth not. He doesn't live in sin. God set up a system where if you sin, not when you sin, he's not expecting you to sin. First John 2, 2. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Notice the careful wording of the Lord there. If any man sin, any believer, we have an advocate with the righteous. Confess your sins. Put it behind you. March on. Take up the cross and march on. But this idea of just living in open sin, unrepentant sin, there's no victory. There's no cross, which leads to the only resurrection victory that could be in the divine economy. That doesn't give you an excuse to follow these false teachers. The scripture warns us to not be led away with the error of the wicked, which is the whole, almost all of the modern church message. There's no cross. There's no judgment. There's no hell. There's no victory. There's no holiness. None of that's found in there. It's just love, 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 grace, grace, grace. There's a song on the radio, fraudulent song. And again, through the music, they pump all of this false teaching into the people that are not biblical, not students of scripture. So it's their fault as much as the false teacher. So they don't know how to discern between good and evil, if you will, or between profane and holy truth and error. And the song talks about God is chasing me. He's just chasing me. I'm like, are you kidding? God's not chasing anyone. Now he will, he set up the system by which if you're away from him, you're going to have dismal results because he loves you and he wants you to come back to him, but he's not going to force you to come back to him. And if you don't, you're going to die separated from him and go straight to hell for all eternity. Whether you like it or not, that's what he said. The wages of sin is still death. And if you yield yourself servants to sin, you're going to die. You're going to be separated from him. Romans 6, 16 and chapter 8, verse 13. Notice here, Romans 8, 13 and 14. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. There it is again. For if you live at talking to the body of Christ, if you live after the flesh, if you live in sin, you shall die. But if, if you through the spirit, there you go, through the help of the Holy Ghost, do mortify the deeds of the body, there's the cross life, you shall live. You'll experience the resurrection of Christ every day and victory will be wrought in your life. So you won't be living 
living in under the dominion of sin, like in bondage. And then he says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Jesus said this about his salvation, not the fake salvation being peddled out there. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed, literally free. So, friend, if you're still under the bondage of sin, something's not right. Notice verse 31 and 32, Romans 8, uh, excuse me, John 8, as we're talking here in this passage. Jesus said unto those Jews which believed on him, they were right with God, period. If Jesus didn't tell them when they got saved, you're automatically once saved, always saved. No, Jesus and his apostles didn't teach that. No, he said he warned them. It's kind of like a severe threat, if you will. Argue about it if you want. That's what it is. He didn't tell them, oh, good, you believed on me, initial salvation. You're once saved, always saved. Only a grace-perverting wolf, divine, defined in Jude 4, would tell anybody that after they got saved immediately or anywhere after that. Jesus taught that you got to endure to the end to be saved. His apostles taught the same thing all the way through the New Testament. Some of these devils say, oh, endure to the end to be saved. That was before Jesus died and raised again from the dead. Oh, nice try, wolf. All of his apostles taught the same thing about continuing in the faith. Amen. All the way through the New Testament. That's all over our website, by the way, safeguardyoursoul.com. If you continue in the word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth's going to what? Make you free. When you know the truth of the cross life, you're going to become free. See, Jesus taught the cross all the way through his ministry in the gospel. He said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. When there's a denial of self and taking up the cross, there's the death and burial and Christ's resurrection power is going to make you free. Amen. You see that? You're going to be made free as you continue in the word, the word of the cross, and you're going to be made free and overcome all iniquity. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. You see, Jesus died to free you, born again believer, from all iniquity, quote unquote, all iniquity, Titus 2, 14. And yet this is only possible by doing your life his way, the cross way, and no other way. Some people get all, you know, oh my gosh, you say we've got to be sinlessly perfect. And have you ever sinned or do you ever sin? Listen, there's a difference between those who stumble into sin and get honest and repent and return to Christ and the cross that he taught. And those who cloak their life with the excuse making lame, absolute heresy of once saved, always saved and eternal security that absolutely robs the fear of God out of their hearts. And they see no need to confess sin, no need to truly repent and turn away from it and to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus. That's the difference. Proverbs 28, 13, he that covers his sins, and that would include covering them by hiding behind this eternal security uh, heresy. He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. And that's done through the cross. When you choose that you don't want sin reigning, you want Christ reigning in your life, you're going to be willing to fast and to pray and do anything it takes to put Christ at the headship of your life where his reign is in your life and not yours. When your reign is in your life, sin is having dominion over you, not Christ. These false prophets of today's modern church, they never project you into the victory Jesus died to fully give you by the cross, by way of the cross, and by not only his cross, the blood of his cross, but also the cross he commanded you to take up daily. But no, they're going to leave you living in sin because without the cross, you're going to live in sin. Without the crucified life, you will live in sin. There's no way to overcome sin except God's way. And that's the prescription that he gave us of the cross. Notice, this is exactly what the false teachers did that the prophets specifically cited throughout the Old Testament. I'll give you a little taste on a couple of verses. Jeremiah writes,
writes in Lamentation 2.14, he says, Thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, the false teachers over Israel, that is, and they have not discovered or uncovered and exposed thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity, thy bondage, but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishment. False burdens as dealing with all the things they overemphasize to emphasize in their messages today, instead of preaching the central message of Christ's cross and the one he commanded us to take up. See, they overemphasize, they hyperemphasize all kinds of like grace and love and mercy, never speaking of the cross or any of the other things that I call stinger doctrine to the New Testament, without which you're, you can't have a walk with Christ, not a real walk with Christ that bears the fruit of holiness unto everlasting life. So Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, is talking about these false teachers and how they gave you vain and foolish things and haven't uncovered your iniquity by teaching you the cross and that God is holy, 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 and that he says, be holy, be ye holy, for I am holy. Notice they never mentioned scriptures like that. So that you could be turned away from your bondage, your captivity. But no, they've seen false burdens for you. They've overemphasized things to the exclusion of the whole of scripture and all that it teaches. Notice Jeremiah also says in Jeremiah 23, 17, many of you know, Jeremiah 23 is all about false leaders. And he says this in verse 17 of the false teachers. And remember, there's no new thing under the sun. The same false teachers are here today. They're still telling people the same things and withholding other things of truth and misleading them. Isaiah 9, 16 nails it. He said, the leaders, the le- who? The leaders of this people cause them to err. And they that are led of them are brought to destruction. The leaders, notice the leaders of this people do these things. And they that are led of them are destroyed. That's exactly what Paul taught in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. He said, you preach the word, Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves false teachers, and they'll be turned unto fables and to destruction. He's saying that right here also, Isaiah 9, 16. It's the leaders of this people that cause the people of God to err, to go into error. And then those that allow this to happen by not holding to Jesus and the truth are going to be destroyed. Isaiah 9, 16. He even uses the word destroyed. That means eternal damnation. Listen, the fact is that Satan has lost you if you've been saved. So he's got to make a play for your soul, just like he did Adam and Eve, because they were in perfect communion with God. That no sin had entered into the world. Satan had to figure out a way to get them to fall. What did he do? What did he invent? What did he come up with? What did he use as a tool to get the first man and woman to fall? He added one three-letter word to what God had said, and it's the, the seed beginnings and origins of the once saved, always saved, eternal security message. He said, you shall, here it is, not surely die if you sinned against God. But God had said that you shall surely die if you sin against me. Excuse me, folks. God is holy, holy, holy. That one act of disobedience caused them to be, to fall, to be put out of his presence. We not remember how God kicked them out of the garden, out of his pristine presence, as he had already kicked Satan out of heaven for his iniquity. Now Satan invented the way to get those people to fall as he, he already knows and uses this same device. He hath nothing new or common. He's been using it since then. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation that is not common to man. It started in the garden. And what was the temptation? What did he tempt him with? How did he get him to fall? He told him, you're not going to suffer consequences if you sin against God. You shall not surely die. That is a lie. He is the father of lies. And anyone perpetrating that evil doctrine on people is bearing 
false witness against the Lord and is a child of the father of all lies, the devil. John 8, 44. It's irrefutable, my friend. So Jeremiah 23, 17, just one verse here. They say still, the false teachers say still unto them that despise me. In other words, those people that claim to be mine and yet live in sin, this is what they say to them, the false teachers. This is what all of these false pastors are saying to their congregation every Sunday. The Lord has said, you shall have peace. Man, you and God have peace with one another. You once saved, always saved. You are eternally secure. See, the prophets told on these devils, the ones of their day and the ones we see now, the ungodly men that Jude spoke about who turn in the grace of God into a license for sin, lasciviousness. So Jeremiah cites the false teachers of saying, you shall have peace. You're not going to have consequences. And they say unto everyone that walketh, these false teachers, they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of their own hearts, of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. In other words, you're judgment proof, man. You're judgment proof, dude. You got saved. You're eternally secure. They spent, some of them spent every Sunday morning in small part or large part, continuing to poison the congregation, poisoning these gullible dupes that sit under this false doctrine, this false gospel, that they're eternally secure. They assure them in their sin, promise them that no evil shall come upon you, quote unquote, Jeremiah 23, 17. But the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, separation from God, which leads to eternal damnation if you die in sin. This shall in no wise, Revelation 21, 8 and 27, enter in any fornicator, any adulterer. He goes through a whole list, any thief, liar, etc. He goes through a whole list of sins. So if you die in sin, you're going to hell. Doesn't matter if you've been saved. In fact, the Bible says it's going to be worse for you in the end and for eternity than if you'd never known the way of salvation. Second Peter 2, 20 and 21. So then Jeremiah says the next verse, for who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Who held to the word of God instead of the false teachers and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? He's saying there, why will you believe these false teachers? Why won't you stand in the counsel of the Lord and come out from among them? That has so much to say on this topic. But beware, beloved, that you're not allowing false teachers with these heresies to deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16, 17, and 18. Notice these false teachers of Jeremiah's day of all generations, prophets cited, and all generations since the fall of Adam and Eve, all the way till Christ that comes and sets up his government on the earth. You're going to see the same thing. You see it happening in our day. They paint a picture by what they say and what they don't say, what they leave out. It's not so much what they're saying as much, and it's also what they're not saying. And you're not going to know what they're not saying, what they're leaving out of the message if you don't study your own selfish approved unto God every day, diligently searching the scripture and putting God's word as final authority, not any man's, mine or anybody else. So they paint this picture, this misleading picture, and it misled a whole generation of quote unquote Christians. I call it the eternal security generation, these lame churchgoers who claim to be Christians and their lives are no different than anybody else's. Yet Jesus loves us. Yet that doesn't change the fact that Jesus requires that we obey him. See, it's the Jesus loves you gospel. You know, Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so. There's another version of that. It says, Jesus will judge me. This I know. And if I choose to live in sin, hell is where I will end up in. That's more scriptural. Yes, Jesus loves you, but that doesn't change the fact that Jesus requires you to to love, trust, and obey him. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that do it, do it, do it, the will of my Father which is in heaven. What kind of fruit is being produced in your life, friend? Do you love Jesus supremely? Is he the first love of your life, or are you in need of true repentance today?
today. Because all it takes to go to hell after being saved is to be lukewarm. That's a summation of the first and the seventh church Jesus addresses in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Unfortunately, in the modern gospel, the false apostate church, all we hear is that Jesus loves us, but yet there's no requirement for obeying him. There's not even, they don't even speak about the bad word of obedience, you know, that Bible word. That's why they like these phony little sissy Bibles. They don't want the King James, the man Bible. Amen. The real man Bible. By the way, is it time that you give up the sissy counterfeits, gentlemen, and get a real Bible? You know, a real sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which will circumcise and slice off all the evil of your heart? Amen. It is time. Do it. See, in this modern gospel, it's all about grace, 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 and how Jesus loves you. If they paint this picture that Jesus is just this big sap sitting in heaven, and he just salivering and falling all over himself to coddle you. Absolute phony, false image of God, demonic. That's another Jesus. That's another gospel perpetrated by another evil, that is spirit. They never talk about obeying God. Shut up and obey. Repentance, holiness, or the return of Christ in this false gospel. God loves everyone, including all the men and women, the millions, which is most of the people that have lived and died and went to hell, that have lived before us. He loved all of them. God is love, but he will love you straight into hell if you don't do his will. That's the bottom line. See, the Bible says in Romans 8, 38, 39, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't say you can't be separated from God or the life of God. You see, the life of God, having the life of God in you, eternal life. No, it doesn't say that. God will love you all the way into hell. God didn't make the prodigal son father depicted there in, in Luke 15 stay home. He let him, he had a free will. He left. The father didn't go get him. Now the father rejoiced and ran to him once he got back on the father's property, but the father wasn't going to go make him come back to return to the Lord. They paint this false image. And if you don't study the scriptures astutely and diligently and learn them, you're going to have this false image of God. I will say this right now, as we speak, every one of us says still has false images of God. And that can only be corrected by studying the scriptures. One of the reasons God gave us the word of God, the written word of God is to correct us. It's for correction and proper doctrine. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So God's love is not to be mistaken with his acceptance. You see, unconditional love does not mean or does not equal unconditional acceptance. You can look that up on Safeguard Your Soul too, because we got a message on that that goes deep into that. Just look up the word acceptance in the search box. See, God's love, again, is not to be mistaken with his acceptance and his rejection based on the appropriate just desire that we meet the conditions. Why isn't everybody going to heaven? Well, because most people don't want to meet the condition. Don't tell me that scriptures and that being right with God is unconditional. It's not. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And true faith will always render obedience. We are his workmanship. All that are truly walking in saved by the grace of God, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, or have the, that manifested in their lives because they have been born again. They love God supremely. That means they love him more than self. They're obeying Jesus and learning that daily cross and the works of God, the light of God is shining through their lives. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That's what Jesus said. Jesus spoke of good works in his true remnant and glorify your father, which is in heaven. I just wonder how this modern gospel fits in with, as I mentioned earlier, be holy for I am holy. First Peter 1, 15 and 17. How does it fit in with these other verses they hide from you? Second Corinthians 7, 1, having therefore these promises dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filth 
filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Notice, not just walking in holiness, but perfecting it. Amen. Let me finish with a couple of quotes from a new friend, Brian Anderson. I like what he says here. It kind of fits with this message as we close. Brian says, quote, I laugh when spiritually blinded people try to correct the path of those who see the truth. Then he says, please learn more scripture than just God so loved the world, or I have plans to prosper you, Jeremiah 29. Then he says, after you've learned more scripture than just those two or three, then maybe I'll take into consideration your criticism of my ministry because you've brought scripture to my attention that I didn't weigh out and consider. In other words, it's time to grow up, folks. Let's learn the whole of scripture, not the little smidgens we get by the false teachers of today's modern church. Yes, scripture speaks of sinning in 1 John 3, for sure. And yet people sin when they are not in the cross. They're not experiencing the resurrection life of Christ as they're crucified with Christ in the death and burial life. So the cross is the central crux, not just overcoming sin and all iniquity, but the prescription of Christ, the gospel prescription of being dead and buried with Christ and Christ raising you up. When crucified, the deeds of the body, the motions of the flesh are nullified to nothing. And Christ is reigning in your life, friend, and resurrection graces in your life to overcome all sin and to also be fruitful in the work of God. God bless you, friend. I hope the scripture in this message blessed you. Thank you for those who support the ministry. It is much needed. We love you and God bless you. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting, and feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so, and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.